This is a very important passage. There are many significant things that we want to cover, and I hope that uh, you will be blessed by the things that we have to look at today. We remember the children of Israel have been delivered from Egyptian bondage. We remember that they have crossed through the Red Sea. They've been led to the holy mountain, Mount Sinai, where Moses goes up to receive the Ten Commandments. And that's where we are in the story. God is making a covenant with Israel. And so that's where uh, Exodus 24 takes us. And then at the end of chapter 24, chapter 25 starts the tabernacle. And so this is a very important transition in God's dealing with Israel. And so we want to emphasize that it is right here at this place where God is confirming and ratifying the covenant that he is making with Israel. The Bible says here in verse 1, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. And so we've talked previously before about this mountain and what was taking place. I don't know if you have ever been in an earthquake, but uh, it's quite a frightening thing. I've only been in a very mild earthquake. In 2014, some of you may remember, here in Irving, we had six measurable earthquakes. I was sitting in my office. The worst one measured a 3.1. I was sitting in my office one afternoon, and... uh, Things shook me so hard, I literally uh, was falling out of my chair. I caught myself where I I didn't like totally fall. But I really thought that someone had driven into uh, the West Chapel. And so I jumped up and I ran outside because I I was just certain somebody had crashed into the building. And there was nobody there, and I, I had no idea what was going on. And so uh, I ran down the hallway, and Jim had run out of his office, and, and we talked, and, and we decided that <laughs> it was an earthquake. And sure enough, on the news and everything, uh, we had an earthquake here in Irving. I want to tell you that was a very mild earthquake. If you want to hear a story about a serious earthquake. Luke's dad was in San Francisco many years ago, and and, uh, uh, I think the World Series was going on, and all kinds of things uh, were happening. And uh, in in fact, I was actually watching the World Series when everything just stopped, and uh, this earthquake occurred. But uh, sit down sometime if you ever get the chance and talk to Luke's, I don't know what that was, Uh, talk to Luke's dad and listen to the story that he tells about being in a hotel when that massive earthquake happened. And I'm going to tell you something. When an earthquake occurs, people are scared. It is a very, very 
unnerving, disturbing, frightening moment. Because you're not sure what in the world is going on. Try to put yourself in the shoes of the children of Israel. You have been led to this mountain. You're at the foot of this great mountain. And all of a sudden the ground starts shaking. There is an earthquake going on. But it's far more radical than that. Because the mountain is also on fire. And it's hard for us to visualize this or grasp such a thing, but at the same time where there is fire, there's also some sort of magnificent, illuminous cloud over the top of all of this. And so God is revealing his presence. That's what's going on. And when they realize this, they are so afraid, and when Moses tells them that you don't even touch this, you stay right here. You don't go anywhere. You don't follow me up there. You don't start up that mountain at all. If you do, you're going to die. Now think about that. All this is going on. You're totally frightened and not sure exactly what's happening, and then you are told if you set foot on this thing, you're going to instantly die. Well, I'm sure there was a lot of fear and trepidation in the hearts of these people. So all this is going on, and God speaks, and <laughs> he says, come on, come up here. <laughs> You know, the Bible indicates in, in other places uh, when it's talking about this event, the children of Israel, they're not going anywhere. Their attitude is, uh-uh, uh-uh, I ain't going up there. I'm not, I'm not setting foot on this mountain. And yet God tells Moses, you come on up. You get Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders and y'all come on up here. And he says, worship from afar. You know, one of the interesting things about worship is worship brings you close to God. Worship brings heaven and earth together. Worship is often a medium to where we are transcended into the spiritual, the heavenly. And I know that every single one of us can relate to that. You understand what I'm talking about. We have all had moments where in sincere, devoted worship, love, thanksgiving, joy, whatever emotions were accompanying your worship experience that you were brought up into some sort of ethereal spiritual place where the world all around you and everything just fades away and you are in the presence of the holy God and it is a life-changing experience. You see, you come up to worship God. You come up. 
It's a heavenly thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a kingdom thing. It's about a love relationship. It's about a relationship that means everything to you. And so you're caught up into the presence of the Father. But isn't it interesting that worship is the way to God? That's what happens here. As we continue to read, you'll find that the young men were called to make sacrifices. And so the first thing that happens, sacrifices are made, animals are slaughtered, blood is shed, animals die. And all of that, whether or not you can get your head around it or understand it, in 2023 was part of the whole cultural milieu that God established. And in order to meet with God, in order for worship to take place, there has to be sacrifice. And so that's what was going on. All these animals were slaughtered, and then they come up to meet with God. So notice what we're seeing here. We're seeing a very important transition in relationship, and we learn some things about God. In order to come up to worship, remember the people are worshiping from afar. They're not on the mountain. They're not up there in the cloud. They're not in the fire. They're worshiping from afar. But God has invited Moses and the others, the 70 elders, to come up. And then Moses goes on up farther. So it's like here at the bottom are the Israelites. Here's the nation. The 70 elders, and Nadab and Abihu and all of them, they've gone up a ways. And now they stay there and Moses goes on up into, if you read the last part of the chapter, Moses goes up into the glory of God. And that's what it's called. And it's described, read those last few verses. It's described as a burning fire, but it's also described as this glorious, brilliant, magnificent light. And Moses goes up there. And so what we immediately see is that once again, here is Moses pointing to Jesus. Moses is trying to reveal to us what happens and the meaning and the purpose of Jesus. Because it's Jesus Christ who's in the presence of God. It's Jesus who comes from the throne of God. It's Jesus who is the glory and in the glory of God. And so we're seeing God revealing himself to the people. And we're seeing a transition to where God's on the mountain 
and the people can't come to God, now we're seeing a mediator. Now we're seeing someone go between them. Now we're seeing someone bring them together. And so what winds up happening at the end of this chapter and the beginning of chapter 25 is the tabernacle is built. And as you read through that story, as we're going to see later, at some point when it's finished, this cloud, this pillar of a cloud, this glory of God comes over the tabernacle literally and goes into the tabernacle which is telling us God has come down off the mountain to the people because he wants to be with the people. He wants to be with his creation. He wants to be known. He wants us to understand him. He wants a relationship with us. And that's why the tabernacle was referred to as the tent of meeting because that's where they came to meet God, the very presence of God. And then we see further transition. Remember when the temple replaces the tabernacle. Remember that. And did you know at the, uh, when, when the temple is finished, construction, and all the sacrifices are made? And by the way, before I get ahead of myself, Sacrifices were made before they go up the mountain. Sacrifices were made before God comes down into the tabernacle. And sacrifices were made before God comes into the temple. Very significant. As we move through these transitions, because then, centuries later, we find God coming through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit into the hearts of his people. You see the difference? You see the incredible difference of a God on a burning, smoking mountain that's quaking, and if anybody touches it, they die, to now God has come through Jesus and the Spirit of Christ into the hearts of his people. God dwells in the church, and the church is referred to as the temple of God. So what about the sacrifice? What about the sacrifices before you go up the mountain? What about the sacrifice before the tabernacle, before the temple. Oh yeah, blood was spilt. A death occurred before God came to the church, into the hearts of the people, before the Holy Spirit indwelled the people. Blood was shed, and it was the precious blood of Jesus, the Son of God. That's the sacrifice that took place. And in all of these places, in all of these situations, the glory of God appears. And so here's something that I want you to understand, because I don't think the church gets it. For the most part, I don't believe the church, and I'm talking about all over the world, I don't believe the church fully grasps the fact that 
the Shekinah glory of God, the glory of the presence of God is in the church, is in the people. God is with us. That's why the angel said, you will call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God is with us. That God that everybody was afraid of, that God that is so terrible and mighty and strong and powerful and intimidating and frightening, that God that, that God dwells in our hearts in love and grace and mercy. That's what God wanted. He wanted that intimacy, that relationship. And that's Jesus coming to us. And all this Exodus story is pointing to that. It's leading us to that. It's showing us what God is going to do in the future. What about the tablets of stone? They were, where'd they come from? The mountain? Up there on the mountain. There were the words of the covenant. They were in the tabernacle, in the temple. Yeah. In the ark of the covenant. They were there. They're there. They're there all the way through. What about in the church? We don't have tablets of stone anywhere, do we? Oh, yes, we do, kind of. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, which many of you have been studying, have learned that the tables of stone have been, in essence, replaced by what God has written in the hearts of his children. So the presence of the Word of God, the will of God, the words of the covenant are there. They're here. They're with us. They're in us. They're a part of us. And that's part of the glory of God in us. So remember, the goal, the whole point of the covenant is relationship with God. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Remember, we're talking covenant here. We're talking about God, and we're talking about the people. And you see what's happened God has revealed his word. He's revealed the words of the covenant. There's a scroll, there's a book, whatever you want to call it, as we're going to see in these passages. And it's there, and it's from the finger of God, it's from the hand of God, it's from the mind of God. This is God's will. Now, after everything they have been through, after everything they have seen, after all the emotions that they have had and the way that they have seen God, when God speaks his word, you know, you know how they respond? Oh, we'll do it. We'll do it. Now I want to ask you something. After all that you have seen, 
After all that you know about what God has done for you in and through Jesus Christ, after all He has done by giving you His Spirit, after all the love and all the grace and all the mercy and all the forgiveness, all the beauty and glory of the presence of God in your life, can you say that? Let's just stand up right now. Everybody, let's just stand up right now, just for a moment. Stand up. You know, if you don't want to stand up, I want to ask you something. Do you stand up and put your hand over your heart and say the Pledge of Allegiance to this country? Do you do that? Do you stand up when the national anthem is played? you stand up for your country? Will you stand up and acknowledge? Do you? I bet you do. Would you stand up for God and pledge your allegiance? That's what this is. That's what this is. The people saying what they said, all the words that the Lord has spoken we will do, that is their saying, we're going to hold up our end of this deal. We're in with you. We're in it. This is like a, a wedding ceremony. This is like, I mean, many of us have been there. Many of us have stood right there face to face, and, and they're saying the vow, they're calling out the vows, and we're repeating them. And then it comes down to that critical moment. I do. Do you? That's what this is. So. If you're serious about this, repeat after me and read the words in yellow in the quotations on line three. All right? All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And you may be seated. God bless you. God bless you, and he will bless you. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and the 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. You see what God does and you see what his people do? They build monuments. They build memorials. They build statues. And in this case, they build pillars. And they didn't just build one. They didn't build two. They didn't build three. They built 12 pillars. You know why they built 12 pillars? Because there are 12 tribes of Israel. So that number 12 represents something. Hey, that's why there are 12 apostles. Same reason there's 12 tribes, same reason there's 12 pillars. That's why in the book of Revelation, when you read about the church, you read about the kingdom of God, there's a strange number there, 144,000. Where in the world did that come from? What is 12 times 12? 144. Hello? What's up with the thousand? In Scripture, many times numbers mean things. And the number 1,000 doesn't just mean 1,000. It's a symbol. It's a sign. It means something else. And in that day and time, in that culture, the number 1,000 meant a multitude, a lot, a ton of people, a huge amount. That's what it means. 
And so 12 times 12, the children of Israel, times the 12 apostles, times 1,000, 144,000. It's just, a, it doesn't mean literally 144,000. What it means is this represents all of God's people. All of God's people. And God's people, all through Scripture, have things to remind them of some of the most significant events and interactions with God. The things that have changed the course of history. The things that have changed their lives. And I want you to remember that. Before we get to that, I just want to say from Hebrews 9, which Dylan read, and Hebrews chapter 10, that Peyton read, I'm not going to go through all of this, but let's look at just a few things. Look at what's highlighted. By means of his own blood, he secured eternal redemption. You know what these passages tell us? The blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sin. That's why they kept doing it every year. They kept slaughtering these animals. They kept ma making these sacrifices because really, all they did is kick the can down the road. They kicked the can down the road. They kicked it forward. But when Jesus died, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Jesus died for the sins of Israel. That's the only way they could once and for all finally be forgiven. And that's why we don't sacrifice animals anymore. There's, it's pointless. There's no reason. Because these passages tell us Jesus died. He gave his life. He made the sacrifice once for all time. And when he did that, and when he rose from the dead, that's it. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He's the mediator of a new covenant. A death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. The first covenant ultimately was limited in a big way because it could not ever take away sins. You hear me? That's why it was necessary for a new covenant, a different covenant that had a much grander scale, a much greater scope than that first covenant. For a will takes effect only at death. Even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. In other words, it was inaugurated with blood. 
For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant. You ever, you ever been painting and, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're not like me, but uh, I, there have been times, you know, I, I hate painting and I'm tired of it and, and I'm looking at what I've done and it doesn't look so hot and so I, I just take the paintbrush and, you ever do that with a paintbrush? Well, that, that's the picture we got here. That's what Moses is doing. He's, he's taken this, he's dipped it in the blood and he just, and what happens? The blood just flies out and sprinkles. And he does that to the altar. He does that to the scroll or the book of the covenant. As we read all of these passages that are related. And he does that to the people. The significance of him doing this to the altar, putting the blood of the covenant. And in our case, the blood of the new covenant is the blood of Jesus Christ. So in some sense, in some way, in some, if, if you can visualize this, imagine yourself sitting there and blood is sprinkled on you. The blood has to be on you. You got to get some blood on you. This is a blood covenant. This is a serious covenant. This is a life or death kind of covenant. This is a covenant that means something. Just like you stood and say, said, I will do everything that the Lord has said, basically you said, I do. When, when you came to Jesus Christ, that's what you did. You said, I do. I will be faithful to you. I will love you. I am yours. All those wedding kind of things. That's what we do, you see. That's what this covenant is about. But the covenant, the book of the covenant gets blood all over it. The altar gets blood all over it. The tabernacle got blood on it. The temple, there's blood everywhere. They say, scholars say that if you look at the amount of animals that were slaughtered at the dedication of the temple, it was like a river, literally a river of blood flowing from that altar. The blood of Jesus is all over you. The blood of Jesus is all over you. And you know what the blood of Jesus does? The blood of Jesus forgives you of your sins. The blood of Jesus cleanses you. The blood of Jesus washes you. The blood of Jesus redeems you. The blood of Jesus purchases you. It buys you. You are no longer your own, but you are now his. You are his. He has bought you with the precious price of his own life's blood. You have had the blood of Jesus applied, those of you who are followers of Christ. We receive the blood of Jesus 
But you know, the blood was on the altar, the blood was on the tabernacle, the blood at the temple. What's up with that? The first time you read about a covenant in Genesis 15, animals were cut in half, blood is everywhere, and God, if you don't believe me, read it, God passed through the middle of them. Half over here, half over there, and God went right through the middle. And you know what that meant in that culture? That meant, I promised to do everything I said I would do. And you know what it means when you pass through? You know what it means when you pass through the sacrifice? You know what it means when the blood gets on you? That means you are saying, I will do all that the Lord commanded. That's the covenant. That's what's in our heart. That's our desire. That is our purpose. So the blood, in essence, is on God. And the blood is on his people. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 of the elders of Israel went up. And they... Listen, folks, if I've talked too long and put you to sleep, I need you to wake up right now, okay? Elbow the person next to you, shake them, do whatever you got to do. I want everybody to get this, okay? Everybody to get this. What happens when they went up? They saw God. They saw God. You know, what, you know what happens every time somebody saw God before and after this? You know what happened when anybody saw God? They can't handle it. They just die. They saw God and they did not die. They saw God and nothing happened to them. They saw God. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and as it were, the very heaven for clearness. Some translations say it was blue as the sky. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and then the strangest thing happened. They sat down and had a meal. They saw God. Let's celebrate. We didn't die. This is a great thing. They saw something they'd never seen before. They're not looking at a fiery, smoky mountain. They're not uh, in the middle of an earthquake. This is totally different. They see some blue, sapphire, whatever, under the feet of of God, you can read that in Revelation, I think, 21, 21. A picture of God on his throne. And they saw God. You know what that tells me? God wants to be seen. That's why the incarnation took place. One reason. God wanted to reveal himself in a way that we could understand. He came in the form of a human being. 
Doesn't that just blow your mind that the God of the universe, the creator of everything, the most powerful being there is, the most magnificent, the most glorious, the most fantastic, the most awesome being there is, came to us. He didn't ask us to come up to a fiery mountain. He came down to us in the person of his son, Jesus. And I want you to know, in that culture, in that time, when they sat down and they had that meal, after everything we've been talking about, this is a covenant deal. We hadn't left the covenant issue, folks. This seals the deal. This is like putting a ring on the finger. Yeah, this seals the deal. When you eat the meal with God, when you see God in the meal, you have sealed the deal with the covenant. Fellowship, oneness, unity with God. People wonder why we say we are a sacramental church. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why. Come on up, Luke. I'm going to tell you why. Because the people of God have 12 pillars. Uh, no. Something a little different. But they have a memorial, see. They have something given that reminds them I'm married to Jesus I'm all in with you God I've accepted your invitation I've accepted your offer I want you and nobody but you This meal is about love. It's about commitment. It's about faithfulness. And this morning when you come forward and you partake of this bread and you drink of this cup, would you, would you just take a moment and, and maybe, maybe when, when you get your emblems, maybe just step over there to the side, take a moment, and look up there at that cross. Would you do that? Would you just take a moment and look at that cross? And I would like for you, and you can do it very quietly. You can whisper. You can say it silently in your head. Would you tell Jesus? Would you tell Jesus? And you're thinking, finish the sentence, tell him what? That's on you. What would you like to tell Jesus? Tell him. If you want to tell Jesus I love you, if you want to tell Jesus thank you, if you want to tell Jesus I'm nothing without you, if you want to tell him you're my everything, you tell him whatever 
your heart wants to tell him. Let's give thanks. Thank you.